Welcome to the 2018 seasons of the Wealth Standard Podcast, celebrating the principles of life, liberty, and property. You are listening to Season 3, Property. All right, Bob, welcome to the show. It's great to have you on. I'm really excited for the interview. My pleasure. So, Bob, let's start here. You've been in the game of business and have probably looked at tons of different leadership structures and personality types. Why don't you just give us an idea of your background from the time you started Healthy Companies International to today? Sure. Well, I was trained as a psychologist, a clinical psychologist, and my first job was in the Department of Psychiatry at George Washington School of Medicine. And I was treating families and successful families, and the fathers never showed up for treatment. I got very interested in how these men were having an impact on their families and, by extension, their companies. And I started writing about what was possible if you had healthy leaders and healthy companies working together. And I got a call from the MacArthur Foundation in Chicago, and they threw a bunch of money at me to start a not-for-profit. We studied top executives and interviewed over the years, over 30 years now, maybe, say, 600 CEOs in about 55 countries of large companies, Toyota and Boeing and Coca-Cola and Procter & Gamble, to try to get a sense of how these leaders were building great companies. And today, Healthy Companies is a leadership and transformation company, and we do consulting mainly around the human side of organizations, but we also do a lot of leadership development and we're bringing the messages of being grounded and conscious into organizations at all levels so that people and companies can prepare for all the disruptions and change that is happening and will happen in the future. So Bob, I'm I'm curious, some of the background had to do with men and families and that they would not show up to therapy session or whatever with their families. Did you find a correlation between maybe father is in, has an impact on his family and a, a man has a, an impact if he's in a leadership position and a company? Well, I think over time, over the last 20 years, the pace of change has just increased dramatically. Speed is a critical driver. Uncertainty is reality. The world is more complex with more choices. Technology is the uber disruptor in our personal lives and our business lives. A competition comes from everywhere. And everybody in business is sort of like a global business person because of technology and the fact that money, markets, and people can come from everywhere. So this has caused a lot of stress, a lot of opportunity but a lot of challenge for leaders. So leading today, whether you're leading a not-for-profit organization or government agency or a large global corporation, is much more challenging, much more difficult today. When I say leading, I'm talking about leaders at any level of the organization. And it's required leaders. It's interesting, as the world has changed outside, in a counterintuitive way, it's forced us to look inside for answers. And so leaders have had to look inside themselves to become more agile, more resilient, more adaptive, more collaborative, and higher performing. And that's been a real shift for all leaders, men and women. But it's been a hard one, for, especially for men, because they were, we grew up at a time when you know, men sort of thought their way into new solutions. They didn't feel their way into new solutions oftentimes. 
and they made the decisions in more authoritative workplaces. And we sort of hid from vulnerability and weakness. So we just didn't make mistakes in public and we didn't fall down and get up and tell anybody. So the world has really changed for us and we've had to develop some new mindsets for the new world order. I'm curious about what you just said and looking at leadership in the past and men, because I agree with, you, agree with your comments and men particularly fighting for what they have and kind of wearing some sort of a facade and not necessarily going within and being self-aware. Did that work in the past? And, and if so, was the mindset of the, the employee, the people that were being led, was it their mindset that changed first or was there some other cause? I think a lot of factors change. One is that the workforce demanded and is demanding more from their leaders. They want their leaders to be more real, more honest, more authentic, acknowledging with them in a partnership that the world is tough and we can create and we can navigate through this together. So the workforce has been a factor. I think secondly is the evolution of men and women. And we've seen changes within both genders preparing us and changing our relationship with each other. And then lastly is the environment has changed so dramatically. The level of complexity and uncertainty is so high and the tenure for top executives is going down and down and down. And so there's so much pressure on leaders to perform and the world is changing so quickly on them and they don't have all the answers. And so And I guess another factor is that who has power in the organization has fundamentally changed. With technology, everybody has access to knowledge and information. And so authority and responsibility and accountability and power has been pushed down in the organization, mainly because people can make decisions and are closer to the customer down through the organization. And the world's gotten complex and the top executives don't have all the information. So all of those factors have contributed to the evolution of the concept of leadership. That's an excellent, those are such excellent points. And, and yeah, I, I think the world has become very complex in a sense. And I would say the, you know, the transient nature of employees as well, it's, uh, is interesting to note. So this brings up a question I wanted to ask, which is about the title of your company, or the name of your company, which is Healthy Companies International. So has and this was, and remind us again when the company was founded. It was in the 80s, correct? Yeah, we were founded in 1987. So that was some time ago. And I've written eight leadership books. And the first one was called The Healthy Company. And I was on a plane. When you produce your first book, you want to take it out and open it up on a plane and just hope that somebody next to you says, oh, what an interesting book. Well, it actually happened. And the guy next to me on the plane says, oh, it's an interesting title. Is it a novel? <laughs> and, and it was sort of a, a sort of a smack in the face that here I thought this idealistic understanding of the potential of companies was so critical. And this guy didn't think that it was even possible. Uh-huh. But in the last 25 years uh, since I wrote that book, I think there's a growing recognition by the more progressive companies that if they don't create cultures and environments that enable people, inspire people, challenge people, and engage people, their hearts and minds, they're not going to have a very successful company for too long. No. And so that was my first book. Now, Conscious is my last book. And 
The last two books, uh, Grounded, which is based on the idea that we grow up in, an, in a paradigm that says that what you do defines who you are and that the current environment is forcing us to flip that, to say that who you are as a human drives what you do and how you perform. So the book's organized around six roots of being grounded, your physical roots, your emotional roots, your intellectual roots, your social roots, your vocational roots, and your spiritual roots. And those leaders, and we have data to show that, who exhibit those roots have a stronger foundation when the winds of change come and blow at them. Conscious was written as the companion book, and it basically talks about how do you accelerate yourself? How do you move faster and adapt faster in this changing world? And it's based on the notion that the more conscious you are, the more aware you are of yourself, your relationships, and the environment and surroundings around you, the faster you adapt and the higher performing you are. And conscious is organized into four practices. The first one is to go deep, to discover your personal self inside. The second is to think big into a world of possibilities. The third is to get real, be honest and intentional and step up and be a change agent. And the last one is to step up, to be a transformational leader in whatever you do. And we have data to support that those leaders who are self-aware outperform their competitors. You get, would you mind giving us maybe some examples? I'm assuming there's some in the book, but giving some examples, how to apply this methodology or apply this philosophy to, to leadership of a big business? Sure. Well, in conscious, we basically link pitfalls to practices. So one of the problems in business today is that many of us are too unaware or superficial. We don't go deep enough. We don't understand our insides, what's going on inside of us, and the world just keeps changing so fast and we don't stop and reflect. And so the practice of go deep is to help people become more aware and introspective. So one of the things we do in our workshop is we have people look at their life story and to make sense of who they are, how did the past influence how they show up today. We also help them to become more comfortable being uncomfortable in this world. You know, many of us grew up believing that the goal of life was to be happy mm -hmm. and you're supposed to feel good all the time. But in the new world order, it's bumpier and we have ups and downs. And so we have to learn not only to get comfortable being uncomfortable, but we have to learn how to be resilient, to fall down and get up. And that means spending more time in our positive emotions which comes from positive psychology. It means managing our threats more effectively, knowing the connection between our mind and our body, and also using what we call our thought liberators rather than thought underminers, if you will, or hijackers. So there's very specific tools in the book and in our workshops to do that. Think Big is really about being curious and adaptive. Uh, by the way, one of the great examples of Go Deep is Oprah Winfrey. You just watch her in real time. She, we, she has dealt with her personal demons and her internal self on the public stage. And yeah, we've her seen sleep. her as she's, what's that? On her sleeve. Yeah, she's dealt with it like with Absolutely. all of been transparent. Exactly. And she's been authentic. She's shown up with an open mind and an open heart. And in fact, she has a wonderful quote that says, if I only knew 
that being authentic would make me this much money. I would have done it a lot earlier. <laughs> and it, it's sort of a sign to people that people are hungry for people who are authentic, who just tell the truth about the internal experience that we're facing. But many of us are afraid of that. What is it about that that's so compelling? I mean, you, you as you're with the training in psychology, like what is it about being empathetic or transparent or open or and being willing to talk about your faults, like what is it about that that resonates so deeply with somebody else, especially someone that you're you know in a leadership position with? Well, I think we many of us grow up in the paradigm that says the goal is to be the smartest kid in the room, and we're reinforced by report cards and performance appraisals and in the workplace and but we've kind of outgrown the smart paradigm because everybody's smart. So the new paradigm is to be conscious, to be aware. And smart gets you in the room, but conscious keeps you there. That's one shift. Another reason is that if you think about it, every moment of every day, we make a choice consciously or unconsciously to live that moment in fear or love. And we have a set of fear-based emotions. And the three primary ones are anger, sadness and anxiety. And we have love-based emotions, our confidence, our optimism, our compassion, our generosity, our faith, and yes, love. And the more people can experience the full range of that emotional continuum, but spend most of their time in their positive emotions, which are hardwired just like their negative emotions, the easier it is for them to navigate through all this complexity and change. Now, the dilemma is that a lot of people live their life in these fear-based emotions. They get hijacked by demons from the past. They're worried constantly about what's going to happen in the future. They magnify or generalize situations that are not rational. And each of us is hijacked by one of those three primary emotions, whether it's sadness, anger, or anxiety. And we generally know that in the privacy of our hearts and minds. So being aware of that is very, very important. Now, the dilemma is that many of our workplaces were not designed for humanity, but increasingly younger people and the external environment is forcing leaders to just be more confident and humble, more humane, more a a real person in the workplace. And people love that. And it frees you up so you don't have to hold on to all the fear-based emotions. You can be more positive and more joyful and, and navigate through. And one of the specific tools is to be able to determine the difference between what you can and cannot control. Mm-hmm. I mean, this is a, we in psychology call this ceaseless striving. People who are constantly trying to control things that they can't control, and it creates tremendous distress. Oh, yeah. And and everybody knows that. And so how do you sort of allow yourself to be personally powerful and at the same time accept and be comfortable with uncertainty? And that's a real important tool for people to develop in this new workplace. As you do your consulting and you work with companies, is there just as much emphasis put on the employees or at least the training of the employees or the education of the employees as there is with uh leadership? Because I imagine if it was one-sided, the leaders would probably resonate with a lot of what you're saying, but then it, it could be somewhat disruptive if there hasn't been context created for, uh, for the employees. 
Yeah, it's a very good question. Well, we bring our grounded and conscious workshops into organizations, and we basically say that it's important to facilitate them at the top with executives. We actually certify and train middle managers, human resource or learning managers, or even operating unit managers to facilitate those workshops. And we allow our tools and all of our materials to go in those packages. So a lot of middle managers are starting to learn this. And then we use technology for the masses for educating people in electronic learning and digital environment. So it's really important. Now, what happens if you don't do this? Well, if you don't do this, you don't have a cadre of mature, healthy adults in your organization. And if you don't, it's very, very hard to execute your business strategy. It just simply is because people are not showing up as healthy, mature adults. And what happens is we create blame cultures where the top blames the bottom for not getting the work right and the bottom blames the top because the leaders are too greedy or selfish or don't know where they're going. And rather than a culture of commitment, And so the shift from being unhealthy to healthy is really to move toward that culture of commitment, but it happens one leader at a time. You can't change a culture if you're not willing to recognize that everybody's got to change. And every CEO I talk to is talking about organizational transformation and business transformation. But oftentimes what we forget or we minimize is that If you want the organization to transform, every person in the organization has to transform. And that requires an investment. It requires priorities. Well, a company is an abstract. I mean, a a company is not like a living thing. It's just a group of individuals, right? So it's it's the like you said before, it's the you know, creating some humanity out of the culture of business. So with the lens that you have to business, what are some things you see? Like what are maybe some companies that exemplify this notion of being conscious? And then maybe what are some companies that you've seen struggle because of not recognizing the the notion of of being conscious? Well, one company in particular for the latter would be Wells Fargo. Completely was not conscious of what they were doing. There may be a couple executives who were, but the company as a whole didn't realize that their incentives were all out of whack. And They were forcing customers to buy products that they didn't want, and it's cost them multiple billions of dollars, and it's still happening where the leaders were not conscious of what was going on. Contrast that to a company like Google or Apple and constantly on the edge, uh, creating learning cultures. The people leader, Laszlo Bach at at Google, Mm -hmm. uh, for years talked about the importance of learning agility and learning on the fly and seeing connections and helping people develop in their jobs. That's what healthy companies do. Another one would be Reed Hastings at at Netflix, uh, out front on trying to create a healthy culture, a values-based healthy culture. But what's interesting about Reed is that if you look at his history, Netflix has changed its business model multiple times, has always had a vision to create video streaming on the internet. But the world was not ready for that when he started the company in 1997. So he basically was willing to reinvent the company over time, and he had to bring people with him. And that required thinking big and engaging people in a conversation about today and tomorrow. And that's a very important skill. Some people call it ambidexterity. 
but it's really helping people live for today and lead for today and prepare for tomorrow simultaneously. And that requires a different kind of mindset. So I think there are lots of examples. Michael Phelps is a great example. In, in Get Real, we talk in the book about the accelerators, those things inside of us that drive us forward, like our confidence and our faith and for inspiring leaders, things like that. And also our hijackers, those things inside of ourselves that, that are thinking errors, our emotional derailers that I talked about, our desire to control or perfectionism. These are hijackers. And Michael Phelps is a great example. And I use his example in the book of somebody who had mastered his accelerators, his intense drive for success and his perfectionism and his swimming and the like. And he won all these gold medals. And then after Beijing, he kind of fell apart mm-hmm. because he hadn't really addressed the hijackers in his life and of being just a normal, real human being like all of us. And he ended up going into a treatment facility. And as you recall, when he came out in Rio and emerged as this mature adult with a family, he seemed like a different person when you interviewed him. And he had gone deep and gotten real with himself. And he was able to emerge a stronger person. And that's what conscious is all about, is giving people the tools they need to actually thrive in this disruptive and accelerating world. Well, let's do this. I know we needed to wrap up. This has been a fascinating conversation. And I'm really looking forward to reading to reading the book. But maybe as we end, would you maybe tell us about those that have either mentored you or inspired you directly or indirectly over the years to really understand and uh, be passionate, and you're clearly passionate about what you believe in, which are the, these principles to help transform businesses. But would you mind going through maybe some of the mentors you've had and the things or events that, uh, that, have been, that have inspired you over the years? Sure. I got a PhD in clinical psychology, but I had to learn business from the streets. And I didn't get an MBA. And what I did was I went out and I sat face-to-face with all these CEOs over about a 25-year, 20-year period. And I learned a ton about how they think, how they feel, how they manage their boards, how they build executive teams, how they deal with their fears and frustrations, how they build cultures. And although every business is different, there's some commonalities that cut across any business, any industry, any country around the world. And so many of them were mentors. They probably never knew that they were my mentors. But for me to have to step back from those interviews and write stories about them in my books really helped me a great deal in really understanding the challenges of leading complex companies, complex organizations. That has been, and I have to say myself, I mean, I've tried to invest in my own development. There were multiple times where I could get off the train and do stress management or do just organizational development, which is very important, by the way. But, and, but I kept stretching myself to get to the CEO and to the entire enterprise. And, and I've had therapy over the years, and, and I tend to be a pretty authentic person. And I've become it's, – it's, it's interesting. When I was younger, the most important thing – that I wanted to be perceived as when I gave a speech is somebody who was smart. I was a smart kid. But now today I go in and I talk and I want people to leave the room 
a little bigger and a little better than I found them. So I evolved as a human being to a more conscious state, to a more other-oriented kind of perspective, which I think has been really healthy for me. And I would say that is a, we have a whole other conversation about, you know, the school system, the education system that is really ingrained in people, what the definition of smart is and stupid. And, you know, and I have, I have uh, almost, almost two teenagers, but I have a 14 year old and a 12 year old, and then I have a four year old, but they're in this time of their life where that is really starting to, to affect them. And so the, you know, the conversations we've had have been pretty remarkable because even though society is progressing so quickly, you still have these age-old, ancient, you know, ancient things that are involved in the school system and teaching those uh, teach, and teaching youth, and which is fl- uh, flawed, as you put it. I totally agree, and uh, and that's one of those things where I, you know, I, I would say most a lot of people are driven by looking smart and then doing everything possible to avoid looking stupid, right? And when they make a mistake, and I don't know, and I think that's very un- unhealthy. I've seen it with uh, the business I run. I've seen in other businesses as well. It's one of those complexes that really creates some big disruption, but we don't need to go on. Maybe that's another podcast. <laughs> I agree. I mean, I agree. I mean, it's the difference between negative energy and positive energy. And that energy sits inside you. It sits inside a team or a classroom, and it sits inside an organization or a society. And the more we can move from negative energy to positive energy, the better off we'll be. We'll be healthier, more fulfilled and higher performing. I think it's the amazing thing about someone that really is aware of how to have that positive energy and then how to express it. It's like viral. I mean, it, it, can, impact, it can impact huge numbers of people. And we've seen you know, leaders over the years, Nelson Mandela comes to mind, but it's, there's this power there that is so contagious that if you can really own it, you can get a group of people to do some pretty marvelous things. I totally agree. And I see it all over the place and not just at the top, in the middle and the bottom of organizations and people who are willing to step up and be grounded and conscious. And not only are they happier, but they do better in life. Maybe your next book is around politics. I definitely think. (laughs) Well, there's a lot of work to be done there, unfortunately, on both sides. Wouldn't you think that the same, you know, leadership principles and tactics and under being self-aware, do you feel the same principles apply in the political no question? Absolutely. Absolutely. Probably more so because of these folks live on the public stage 24-7 and they're role models one way or the other. How they show up as human beings influence us. You know, it's yes, it's important to have uh, low crime. It's important to have a good economy. And it's important to have a safe, secure country, but it's also important to communicate to people what it means to be healthy and grounded and conscious as a human being, because people look to our leaders. I just recently was at a speech that Jeff Bezos gave, uh, the CEO and founder of Amazon. He said in the speech, you know, one of the things that concerns him is that leaders think that they shouldn't be scrutinized. And he said, the definition of leadership is that you will be scrutinized because leadership is a public relationship, wherever it is, in government or business. And and, and, your feedback is like your scorecard. It's like the feedback is, you know, the score of how effective of a leader you are. No question about it. And so we need to help leaders develop thicker skin 
I mean, one of the dilemmas is that we idealize our leaders or we demonize them, and we don't allow them to be human beings on the public stage where they don't have to have all the answers. So we're partially responsible for this. So it goes in both directions. Well, that'd be an awesome book if it was uh, if it was written. <laughs> well, Ben, yeah, listen, well, thank you so much for taking the time. Would it's you, my pleasure. Would you tell the audience the best way that they can pick up the new book, Conscious, The Power of Awareness in, in Business and Life? Because I know it's, it just came out this year, correct? In this summer? Right. It just came out in July. Already, actually, I'm, I'm happy to say become a national bestseller. So I'm excited about this. And uh, it's not too long. It's only about 200 pages. And so you can find it at Amazon. You can find it at all the websites. You can also come to healthycompanies.com and find out about us. And I wish everybody in your audience uh, good luck on your, their journey. Bob, it was great to meet you again. Thank you so much for being on here and best of luck and congratulations on the success of your book. Thank you so much. Okay. Ciao, ciao. Okay. Take care. Thank you for joining us as the Wealth Standard Podcast spends all of 2018 celebrating life, liberty, and property. Be sure to leave us a review on iTunes and we'll see you on the next one.